All right. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm an alcoholic, and my name is Al. Um, how's everybody doing? Hey, Al. Hey, Al. Hey there. Um, I'm a regular at this meeting uh, since uh, quarantine started. And um, before then, my experience with Bolden was probably in the, um, the 90s when I was um, court-ordered to attend uh, AA. Uh, I was living in uh, South Austin at the time. And um, uh, probably probably the reason I checked out Bolden was I had heard that um, some musicians that I was uh, very much in admiration of uh, went to meetings there. And so I was there to like, you know, take in that, you know, I wasn't interested in, in sobriety. You know, I was, um, you know, I was interested in that. And, and I was court ordered to get my card signed somewhere. So it might as well be, the, you know. Be there. Uh, I also was attending um, uh, some meetings on South Austin and some in the, near the Capitol where I was working at the time. My sobriety date is to, is uh, December fifteenth, two thousand one. So uh, you know I'm well into my eighteenth year sober. My first AA meeting was in nineteen eighty seven. Uh, I'm from Seguin, Texas. Uh, I went my first year of college to there in in my hometown. Uh, I qualified. For AA, definitely <laughs> in high school, probably. You know, um, you know, I, I, Seguin is a town um, that you know everybody knew everybody. Um, most of us are probably related to everybody, and uh, uh, and we really, um, you know, the the rites of passage were like you get into high school. If you don't have a car, you're you have you make sure you get access to somebody with a car, and uh, and then once you go from like middle school to high school, like, you know, the big kids start teaching you a, um, you know, the ways of the world, uh, which was, um, which places would sell beer to clearly underage kids, um, how to throw back beer, how to like not throw up and, and that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, so I was, I was a band kid. I was a band nerd, which was great because that gave me access to juniors and seniors right off the bat. Plus, in this time, you know, my house, I was a graduate of 1987, and, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, 1985, and um, back then, like, getting a hardship driver's license was as easy as going to, uh, you know, uh, DPS, uh, and just saying, I, I live on a farm, and they'd say, stand over there, they'd take your picture and hand you a driver's license, you know, like, it was, uh, it was great. So, all of that's happening, so, you know, good kid, um... I'm the fifth of five kids, and I'll, the first four kids in my family are disgustingly normal, like just painfully normal kids. Um, everybody always did what they were supposed to do, when they were supposed to do it, how they were supposed to, supposed to do it, and um, uh, they're also clustered pretty close together. Then there's a nine-year gap, and then there's me, and um, so... I'm getting, you know, their teachers and there's an expectation with my last name or, you know, my dad, who was a beloved local merchant, you know, he, my dad was just a nice guy. He, he, he knew how to play the small town game and, uh, uh, with business, you know, he, he was a businessman. And, um, so anyway, I show up and when all this is going on, Evidently, I was an alcoholic waiting to happen because I never had a normal relationship with booze. By the time I started to drink, I didn't black out my first time, but I blacked out 
at the very latest my third time, blacked out. Now, I didn't know what that meant until I even got to AA. But I, I assumed when I stopped remembering that I was passed out. But then I would hear stories about stuff I would do. I'm like, that can't be true because I stopped remembering at about 8 o'clock. You know? And here it is the next day and you're telling me stuff that went at 9, 10, 11. And anyway, I always thought everyone was just full of shit. And, um, but when those stories kind of kept happening to me. So all through high school, uh, you know, the first people to call me out on my drinking were my peers. So 14, 15, 16 year olds are like, why are you drinking like this? You know, we're, we're just trying to have a good time. I do remember going to a party. It was very close to my house. I was kind of, we were kind of country people. So we're out in the country and, um, it's, you know, it's relatively near our part of, of the outskirts of Seguin and, uh, you know, the girl who was having the party, I knew her from band. She was a little bit younger than me, but I was the same age as her brother. And he came up to me, like he just said, Hey, you know, tonight don't go all the way out the way you usually do. And I just, I, I, I just looked at him like, what are you talking about, man? You know, like we're 15, you know, what are we, you're telling me to rein it in? I'm not trying to drink like a gentleman at 15. You know, the point is to get drunk. And that was the point to them too. But evidently, there was a line that had been crossed. I was unaware of it. They didn't know how to say it either because they were just trying, he was just trying to get me to not go like full stupid at his house, right? And um, suffice it to say, I went full stupid. I guarantee you I did. You know, I don't remember anything about it, but I'm pretty sure I did it the way I usually do it, which is once I'm taking, once I'm drinking, I am no longer in charge. You know, drinking is now in charge of how the night's going. And uh, anyway, I roll through high school like that. I roll into uh, the college that is in my hometown, Texas Lutheran at that time called college, because uh, all of my siblings went there. It was uh, not popular um, for the locals to go there. Uh, most locals went to Southwest and San Marcos or anywhere else, you know, they just made a beeline outside of Seguin. I, I stayed there, um, you know, I, I didn't think much about it. I wanted to go to Texas Tech, but uh, I didn't even apply. And um, so I'll go to Texas Lutheran. And uh, even though I'm from Seguin, I decided to live in the dorms. And that much of freedom just let me really open it up. And I went to town. And if you don't know anything about that school, I mean, it's like a thousand kids. About three quarters of it is half pre-seminary. And just the nicest faculty and the nicest school body. And I felt disgusting there. I just felt awful. You know, I'm really having a time. Also, most of them are from Minnesota and Ohio and other places where, you know, they're just, you know, your, your basic uh, Lutheran havens you know, that are trying to get away from snow, they come down to Seguin and, and, and go to school there and they're gonna be a Lutheran minister. Anyway, I couldn't get out of there fast enough. Um, I decided to, to uh, apply to uh, Texas Tech because I was a music major and I really liked the music department there. Um, so I apply. Uh, the problem was I wasn't, um, it's not, I wasn't doing well in classes. I was not attending them. And uh, so I didn't have any kind of uh, academic record to speak of. So alcoholics are, you know, prime examples of self-will run riot. So I was talking to them, to admissions at Tech, and I'm like, let's pretend that this year isn't happening, right? I had a pretty good test score, you know, in the college entrance and, and, and my high school grades are good. So let's just call me a freshman. 
And, you know, whoever I was talking to at Tech was like, what the hell are you saying? That's not how it works. You know, we're not going to just disregard that you're just completely, you know, uh, not even, you know, making an effort here. Like this is this counts towards what's going on. So I took a year. I went to uh, San Antonio College and got my grades up and I pulled up on my drinking. Right. I just made a decision to do it and I did it. And um, that experience gave me the delusion that I have some control over how I drink. I got my grades up. I got into tech. I got scholarships to go there. I got it to like, you know, everything that I wanted to do, I got. I show up to Lubbock and I, the wheels come off. The wheels just absolutely come off um, because what else were they going to do? I don't have a program of any sort. I don't even think I have a problem. Um, it takes me forever, forever to get out of school. Um, uh, I, I, Texas Tech has the medical and law schools all in the same campus as the main campus. And I had friends that were in all those things that were going on to grad school, graduating and leaving. I stayed in the dorms the whole time because it, it was just easy. Also, my best friends were always going to be first semester freshmen. You know, you outgrew me very, very fast. Uh, a couple of things of note. I um, got arrested at least once every semester for like horseshit. You know, public drunkenness, public urination, etc. That kind of stuff, right? Not a hardened criminal, but I'm going to get in trouble. And, uh, and I'm easy to spot because uh, I'm really consistent with where I do it. Again... My first meeting is, is while I'm a student at Tech, uh, my first year there. And, um, you know, I'm in, a, I'm in a fraternity, not a fraternity fraternity. It was like the music major fraternity, but still, we, it was like that to us. It was important to us. And we went on a ski retreat uh, and, um, and there was a, a sorority that was also going to the same condos where we were. And uh, there was an incident. And at the center of that incident was my drinking. And I have no idea what I did, but I know it was bad. And um, uh, I was told to, um, I was on, I was already on double secret probation. So now I was on double public probation. I had to attend a meeting of AA and I had to, with, um, I couldn't drink for 30 days. You know, I was the social chair of the group at that time. And I made a big deal about not drinking, a big deal. So I'm in charge of all the parties. So I'm showing up to parties. It was not uncommon for me to at least attempt to drink a case of beer. And uh, so I'm showing up. I'm not drinking. You all know the deal, right? And you know, and I'm making a joke about it. And I have a case of um, Sprite um, that I completely think I'm going to drink. You know, I'm going to drink a case of beer. I'm going to drink a case of Sprite. So three Sprites into it. And I'm just full, right? And I'm looking at 21 unopened Sprites and I'm like, Jesus Christ, why the fuck would I drink 21 other Sprites? This is absurd and I'm trying to give them away and I don't even know what's going on, you know? So that was giving me some evidence about the phenomenon of craving that again, I wasn't gonna learn till much later on. But like, I don't have the phenomenon of craving to Sprite. I'm just telling you that right now. Of those who had been beers, they would have been downed, right? And, uh, and I, would probably, I would have made a big deal about that too and I would have gotten a blackout and I would have done some stupid shit. Um, so those 30 days 
came and went. In there, I had to go to a meeting of AA, and I went. Um, and I had to go accompanied by someone else in the fraternity to prove that I went. And um, so I go to some meeting out, way out in some cotton field, and it's in some barn, you know, where they have, like, just the hugest shades that have the steps and the traditions I have ever seen in my life. Like, they're like a acre big hanging from rafters and it's just full of farmers in overalls and straw hats and bare feet and I'm like oh what the fuck is you know and I felt sorry for these guys years later and I'm already well into sobriety at this point I go back to an alumni day and I go to a meeting in Lubbock and I describe that meeting to some guy and some guy came up to me in Lubbock and goes son I've been going to meetings here in 42 years that meeting does not exist that one you described does not exist. It has never existed. I don't know what you're talking about. I said, look, I went there. So anyway, I was full of delusion. So whatever, you know, like, I, again, I just went there to because I was in trouble. My experiences for the next several years are the result of trouble. I come back to New York. I'm not to New York. I, I go to Austin right after getting out of school. Real quickly, here's how I get out of school. I'm a 24, 25-year-old man living in the dorms, right? And uh, I was um, stayed... Um, after like most people typically move out because I'm playing in the commencement and um, my parents uh, come to get me from the dorm and my academic advisor um, shows up in my dorm like I, I don't know why he's there but he's, it's right after commencement and stuff and he's like um, you know he introduces himself to my parents and says you know uh, your son has been coming to school here for like six years you know I'd already gone to a year uh uh, to a junior college and a year at Texas Lutheran. So I'm, you know, I'm a professional student at this point. He's like, you know, um, he's been trying for this um, music education degree. Uh, we have conferred um, at the College of Arts and Sciences a liberal arts degree. Uh, we can we can cobble together the, you know, that, and we're gonna give it to him, and he's going to take it, and you're gonna take him home, and you're not bringing him back. You know, this was not like some offer. Like, they're just like, go. Like, we are so done with you. Please fucking go. Right? And I'm like, to me, this is a win. This is just another thing. Like, it's another scam. I was not good at, like, sticking to a plan anyway. Uh, I did, I was great at with, with, withdraw passing, withdraw failing, just withdraw. I'm good at withdrawing. I'm a good withdrawer. I'm, I'm very good at that. And, um... Anyway, um, shortly I get a I get a job. Uh, I, I I managed to get a job teaching music, even though I was not accredited to do it, because you could go get that accreditation later, which I said I was going to do. Um, I just always forgot to start that process. Um, I I got a job at my hometown in Seguin for a year. My the guy that I knew was always going to hire me once I got degreed up uh, was going through a divorce, and he didn't know what to do about it. I'm a good drinker, and I said so it's like let's go to um, Let's go to San Antonio and Austin every night. Let's go to different uh, gentlemen's clubs and let's just uh, get clobbered every night. Uh, that year ended um, his career, my career in that field. And, um, you know, we're lucky that all we love, that's, that's what we got. I mean, we were just, we just threw our own party and, um, and you know, and, and that's what happened. <laughs> I, um, I got in trouble again. Um, I decided to go back to Texas Tech and I immediately got in so much trouble. I'm in a blackout. And um, what I know is, is one of my fraternity brothers who is now a cop in Lubbock, 
um, he was the, the, one of the ones that, on the scene. I, in a blackout, I um, took out like four or five parked police cars um, that were parked in front of the police station. You know, I just, I totaled my car and I totaled all of those cars. So now I'm in big trouble. And um, I had a, um, my sister was living in Austin. She said I could come to Austin. She helped me get a job um, where she worked at the state capitol. Uh, I was court ordered to go to AA and I started going to AA. I, I was kind of sober there for a minute, but I quickly stopped going to meetings because um, I thought every meeting was just the same and pointless, you know. And, um, and then I saw something about outside issues. So I decided I'm just going to invest in outside issues. So I'm still sober, but I can smoke weed and I can do this and I can do that and I can do that. So I start doing that. And I do that for years. I'm not sober, but I don't know that. Um, and, um, at some point I decide to just drink again. And, uh, so I do, and I get in trouble instantly. I'm in Austin. Uh, you know, I'm just, um, I'm, I'm a regular at a bar on 13th and Lavaca and I'm always drinking Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola on one night. You know what? Jack Daniels. Get a Jack Daniels. I get arrested that night. You know, I'm the kind of, I drink myself into jail when I drink. That's just my story. It's not everyone's story. That's not a requirement. But I drink myself into jail when I drink. And I got drunk after years of not drinking and I was in jail instantly. The thing with someone who was just kind of briefly acquainted with AA, if that, is I didn't bounce back. Sometimes I've seen the struggles go on in here. You know, you, 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 you're here and you accumulate some days and then the, the day count starts over. But, you know, is that ideal? I'm not going to say that, but I'm, I, I'm grateful that you have the tenacity to show up again and say I, I'm a day back, right? I didn't have that. I did not have anything close to that. Um, because I get arrested my first night drinking again and I stay out until my sober day to 2001, right? You know, I just plow it along and it did not occur to me to, to make the trip back to AA. Um, what I, so I'm arrested. I get put on probation. I do not do a good job of this probation. Um, I, it started with an, a class that, you know, I could go to uh, like drive myself to, uh, you know, so it was some kind of outpatient thing and, um, I'm getting snapped on, um, you know, they, they, they give you a P test. And at this point I'm a, I'm, I'm really a regular pot smoker and I know that shows up longer than alcohol. Uh, so I think I know when they're going to P test me, but I'm anyway, I get in trouble. So that just, so the guy violates me and says I have to go to now an inpatient thing. And so I go to a 30 day something where I'm staying there. I keep getting in trouble at all these things. You know, I, I eventually go to the Travis house, um, which is really close to the bar I told you that I went to every night. Like my bar is on 13th and Lavaca. Travis house was like in San Antonio and just right there by the university. And, um, and I'm staying there and I'm sneaking out at night um, going to my bar to get um, a white powdery outside issue that I'm uh, also very fond of. And, um, and uh, the guys at Travis House were either people trying to avoid going to prison or people coming back from prison. And every one of these places that I went to, I'm about to tell you about, I picked up a new habit. The one, one of the ones I picked up at uh, 
at um, Travis' house was a new way to do cocaine. You know, I was snorting it. Evidently, there's other ways. And um, so, so I became an explorer of those other ways. Turns out I like all of them. And uh, none of them are legal. Uh, there is no misdemeanor amount of cocaine in Texas. I don't know if you know that. I know that uh, firsthand. Um, I keep getting caught. Um, I get sent to something called state jail. I get sent to something called Safe P, which was in Kyle, Texas. And eventually, you know, um, I stopped reporting to probation because one of the things that would happen is I would show up to probation, right? They're going to test my P. And, um, and I know, okay, it's important to show up. So I show up and I was at Charlie's, you know, and so I'm drinking until two and at two, I'm doing Coke also with somebody there. And then I go to sixth street and I pick up some crack and then I'm probably going to pick up something, you know, anyway, I have an appointment with my probation. I show up from a night like that. Right. And he turns me to the room. I do urine, urine test comes back. He sticks the snap stick in there. And he just looks at me like this thing is testing positive for everything this tests for. And I'm just like flabbergasted. Well, that's just weird. Nah, that's weird, dude. You know, like probation officers see people like that. They see clowns like that nonstop all day long. So obviously they live there in cuffs. And uh, that's one of the times I got sent to something else, you know, some other program and I get out and... So at some point I stop, I decide I'm no longer going to report. So I just abscond. I'm just now a non-reporting probationer, you know. And um, I managed to get my dream job somehow in all this. I could do – so I get this job where I'm in charge of some big music program for an independent thing. You know, I'm completely unqualified for it. I know I'm a fraud, but I get this job. I somehow talk myself into it. I never I – I did not get to report to the first day. Because before the first day of that job, I'm going to Charlie's on 13th and Lavaca. I, I, I drink sufficiently to get, land myself in a blackout. I have all these other substances on me. I come out of this blackout while I'm getting pulled over on I-35, heading back to Seguin because I'm living with my mom at that point. Because, you know, if you're in your 30s and you're a winner, you live with your mom. And um, so I get pulled out of a blackout. I, I come out of the blackout getting pulled over. You know, I, I, I'm a non-reporting probationer. My license is completely suspended. The car is not registered. I've got substances on me and I'm drunk and I'm on probation, right? So this is horrible. It's not going to go well. So then what happens is it doesn't go well. You know, I'm getting booked. I get attracted to uh, the judge, the judge that sent me to, to Travis House, the judge that sent me to Safe P, the judge that sent me to state jail, like that judge. I keep seeing that judge. And he looks at me and he looks at the file and he's just looking and looking and looking and he's disgusted. And he sends me, he says, we, we have tried everything uh, that we are going to try. Uh, the next, the only thing I can do is now protect society from you. And he sends me to jail. And so I go um, to one to three years uh, to Huntsville. I, I, you know, I, I'm waiting in Del Valley for a while. I get sent, you know, and there you then you catch a bus <clears throat> to wherever you're going to go, and it could be a number of different places, um, you know. And I went to something called the Holiday Unit, which is in Huntsville, and then um, uh, everyone is discharged from the Walls Unit, and um, and that's 13 months later, and I get discharged from the Walls Unit, and you get a uh, free ticket 
uh, on a bus to anywhere. I'm from Seguin. I should have taken the ticket to Seguin. I tell them, Austin. And uh, so I'm getting released at like 5 a.m. Go to the, you know, get, you know, get my free ticket. Go to uh, waiting for the bus to Austin. And I show up to Austin at about maybe 10 in the morning. Because I'm going straight to 13th and Lavaca. Where there's Charlie's. A bar that's going to open at 2 in the afternoon. That's where I was when I got arrested. I, I go straight there. I don't think about it. I have to go there. And um, that is December 13th of 2001, two days before my sober day. And, and uh, so the wall that I hit, this is the first time I go to AA, this sober date, without being court-ordered to go to. I go and I just open it up. First of all, nobody mentions that I was gone. They just are like, you know, hey. <laughs> and then... You know, uh, first of all, I'm there before they open, like hours before they open. But like I, I would walk in and um, talk to the guy loading the, the thing, open up myself a beer, you know, and I wait for it to open, whatever. People come in and uh, there was someone that I thought I was kind of in a relationship with. Well, I didn't know. It's kind of, like I thought I was in a relationship with somebody. It was That was another delusion. And so we're partying that night. We close it down. And um, he's like, so what are you going to do? And I'm like, well, you know. I figured we, you know, I mentioned I make all these we statements, and he's like, "We, who's who, who is we?" And um, I thought, you know, we. And he's like, uh, "Hold on." I had mentioned somewhere in there, my sister lives in living in Manhattan, was willing to take me on, and that was kind of the only option, other option, and you know, I wasn't going to do that. So he um, ends up driving me to the bus station in Austin and buys me a ticket to Manhattan, and just sends me right. So. You know, this beautiful night of like all this drinking and drugs and stuff like that. I detox on a two and a half day bus ride from Austin, Texas to the Port Authority in New York City. Because that's how long it takes to get there by bus. And so that's not a pretty way to detox. I don't recommend that to anyone. But I did that. And I land in the Port Authority. um, And my sister, who probably didn't think when she offered to take me in that I would show up. I show up. And she had looked up a meeting. And it's on the Upper East Side of Manhattan, uh, where she lives. And so I go to this meeting, you know, 48 hours before I'm in Huntsville. And now I'm in this posh neighborhood in in New York City. And I'm at this meeting on Madison and 92nd Street um, that's full of, like, lovely little old ladies and gentlemen. And they're wearing hats and gloves and belts, you know, the kind of shit I would never consider wearing myself. And, um, and they're nice people. And, you know, it's a meeting of about maybe 15 people. And they ask if there was anyone new or there for the first time. And then they all looked at me. And I'm like, hey, new face in the crowd. Uh, hi. And I was, like I said, I'm used to the bums rush. I, I know I don't fit in anywhere. And I certainly some, you know gay Mexican Texan doesn't belong, that's just out of prison, doesn't belong in this fucking neighborhood, much less this meeting. And, you know, people in A are so nice. And especially when it's like, it's my first meeting. I, I don't, what day do you, I don't know. You know, that kind of stuff really brings out the love of a group, the love of what AA gives people. 
So to me, they all had their shit together. To me, they all had a million years. And I, who knows what any of that, I don't know what any of their story was. I'm just looking at their outsides and making a, this assessment from that. Yeah, there's a good chance that there's plenty of people there that, that well, didn't have much time at all. I don't know. But they were nice to me. And they suggested a meeting I could go to the very next day. And I went. And, you know, it's enough of a miracle I went the first day. The biggest miracle. I went the second day. I went the second day. You know, they just looked at me and were nice and said, here's what something you can do. You can go here tomorrow. It's near here. And then I went and I met people there. And I met someone named Stu who was from Dallas. And because I said I was from Texas, he goes, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm from Texas, too. I go to this meeting. It's called PAX. It's a men's meeting. I go there. It's great. You should go there. And then I went there. And there was a special meeting for beginners. There's a table. And you sit there when you're new. Francis has sat at that table um, a few times. And, uh, and you sit there. And there's it's about, you know, it's about 20 guys at the table. But there's about 200 other guys not at the table. And there's a speaker who speaks for about 20 minutes. And then it goes around the beginners. And that's who shares. And then there's like 200 guys that are just there for you. And they were there for me. And they came up and said things like, you sound great. I now realize that you sound great means, God damn, are you fucked up. But, you know, but it, you sound great is just a nicer way to put that, you know. And they gave me everything. Everything I have, they gave to me with love from experience. And uh, I'll never for, I, I'll never be able to repay that, you know. And I was given a service opportunity. You know, I was put in charge of the coffee cans that have the kitty litter that go on the steps for you to put your cigarettes out on, you know. And that was a big deal. Oh, man. All right. So, that, so now I have a job. Now I have a reason to be there again the next day. And uh, so I start going to that meeting. And, uh, you know, I get issued a sponsor at some point. And, uh, you know, about a month into sobriety, someone goes, do you have a sponsor? And I'm sure they knew damn well I didn't have a sponsor. You know, do you have a sponsor? And then I was given this guy named Juro. Uh, he was the first Juro. And still, maybe the only Juro I've ever met. Uh, first of all, my name is Al. So there was the Al Giro thing that everyone said for. Giro comes from a family who that came like over on the Mayflower and was like raised in the on Park Avenue on the social register, which I still don't know what the fuck that is, but evidently it's important. And so he's a big deal. He's about 10, at least 10 years younger than me, maybe more. Rich kid, straight kid, whatever. Like not the person I would have picked for a sponsor, Right. Uh, we are people who would not normally mix. Well, we're, this isn't normally. Nothing about this is normal. Because normally, where I would meet you in is prison. That's normal. This is AA. So the more abnormal, the better. Anyway, so this guy, you know, takes me through the big book. And the 12 and 12. And, uh, and I start wondering about this and about that. And what about the word? Isn't, isn't this bad Fitzgerald? I'm looking like criticizing the prose of the big book. And he's like, let's, let's focus on the verbs. There's verbs in here. And let's just do those. And you know what? 
even though I didn't shut up for a while about this stuff, when I do the verbs, what happens is you get results that are directly related to that. You know, the first one was admit, not get your story straight. Admit, admit the truth. So I did. And then we went from there. And, uh, you know, and, and when we get to step two, he's like, you know, so you got a problem with God? No. Great. Step two's done. <laughs> you know, like, let's not talk about that anymore. And we will never visit step two again. Step three. Right. You know, like, let's not let if there's no drama, let's not instigate it. You know, and obviously the, there's that could have been another answer, but that's not what it was for me. So on to step three, it was and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Here's what you're going to write. And then, you know, then I did, you know, and, you know, you get to like face mistakes that you made and are just holding on to for no good reason whatsoever. Mistakes with other people and you face them and you don't fix them because that's not what amends and stuff like that is. It's not fixing mistakes. It's just owning them. And sometimes people are in a mood to let the relationship repair. And sometimes they are not. And I got to learn that. I still don't like that. I have a, a, an idea of how that should go. And that the way, my idea is that let's all be cool. Well, that's not what happens. Sometimes we're cool and sometimes we're not cool. But the coolness is great when it happens. And um, anyway, I got to, you know, so I, I'm learning all these things and and what was so important about learning how to deal with my past mistakes as I am now better equipped at making my present mistakes you know sobriety is not perfection right we say that every day and if we don't we're still gonna think that shit right because we think this is a superpower I've heard it. this is a superpower no it's not this is not viciously consuming poison on a regular basis. Not exactly a superpower. But anyway, I digress. Also, if you really want to take accurate count of what's going on in the steps, one half of one of them deals with booze. Eleven and a half deal with everything else, right? So it's a process of getting me to deal with everything else. And that's what I'm in now, right? Um, you know, I, I've had career up and downs in sobriety and relationship up and downs and sobriety. And I'd gotten to a pretty comfortable place and I was at a really comfortable place in March of this year. We, are, we all experienced March of this year, you know? And here's one beautiful thing about that. Because it's fucked up and it, there's no other, but that was no one's fault, right? Like I can't go like, damn, if I had done this or done that or whatever, like that happened and, and life on life's terms can be like that, you know? And so I got to, you know, I was sent to my room. I was sent to my apartment and there I sat and Zoom came out of nowhere, right? Just out of nowhere. AA, and I've, I have complained about the way people run meetings my entire sober life, right? But those same people that I just like, oh, why don't you do this or that or that? Set this shit up like in no time. Old people who have a hard problem turning off their phone after about 37 rings in a meeting can like chair a Zoom meeting for some reason. You know, like I don't know how this happened, but y'all did a 
good job because all of a sudden I'm at meetings, right? I'm not leaving my apartment, but I'm at meetings. I'm at meetings in Austin, Texas, and I meet people at Bolden, you know? And at first I checked out Western Trails because I used to kind of go there too, and then Bolden, and it just, y'all stuck with me. And so I, I'm stuck with you until this Zoom shit goes away. I hope it doesn't. And I go and, uh, you know, get to bring, you know, experience, you know? Um, very shortly after Zoom started, you know, uh, someone I've been talking to for a while, you know, kind of showed back up in my life again out of nowhere. You know, we've been talking for about 10 years. And it's, you know, so whatever. Here, here he is again. And it's like, what are you going to do? I'm going to do uh, this meeting in Austin. Why don't you log on with me? So he logs on with me. He's been kind of here most, of, most nights, like for months now, you know. We, we're both in New York and we see each other more here than, than anywhere else, you know? You know, so, you know, this process is connection. It's literally connection, you know? Connect to each other and connect to a higher power, you know? I've heard some people describe this as some kind of cult. Well, the thing is, you don't, we're not dictating to what your higher power is, what what name it, you give it, what gender it is, its form, any of that stuff. We do insist that you just attempt it. That's one thing that we do insist on. Like we, we not in a vicious way either. You know, we, we just kind of, uh, those of us who have had a spiritual awakening as a result of taking these steps like to share about that. You know, and that's the most lovely way of encouraging that I've ever seen. Somebody go, you know, because I've, I've gone to different Places where there's a different approach, wagging the, the bony finger. Now you should do this and, you know, and all that. That doesn't work with me. And I don't know who the fuck it works for, to be quite honest. Uh, but, uh, but imagine somebody because it's, uh, you know, there's no shortage of that. But to me, it's like, you know, here, here, I also learned this. Uh, you know, I've been sponsoring people for a while. When I ask the question, do you want to know what I think? And if you answer no, <laughs> that case is closed. <laughs> you know, like I'm not here to give unsolicited anything. You know, but uh, experience that I have in sobriety, you heard my story. I shouldn't have it like this. You know, I shouldn't have it anything close to this. You know, I was, it was going to be sad. It was going to be pathetic. I don't know if I was going to be dead, but it wasn't going to be fun. And it wasn't going to be whatever, you know, it wasn't going to be a lot of things. I was given, you know, not even a second chance, you know, because that's just undercutting it way too much. I have no idea how much drama I have sidestepped uh, because I have sidestepped it. And, uh, and the drama that I have come into contact with in sobriety, you know, when I bring it to my sponsor, when I bring it to my home group, when I bring it to anyone else who's like, who's willing to listen to me and then has something that they share relevant to it. Uh, I'll share one quick story because it's like just about there. But like I had a sponsee who's got, um, you know, he's, he's got PTSD and I don't have an experience with that. And he had an episode while we were doing his fifth step. And again, when we were going over his ASAP list and I have a, one of my best friends is a, he's a career Navy guy. And he's in San Diego and we would just met at a morning meeting. I'm like, can we talk to this guy? And so eight o'clock here is three hours earlier there. And I go, Matthew, he answers the phone. Hey, what's up? Like, but not like, hey, what the fuck are you doing calling me? That this, he's like, hey, what's up, right? It's another alcoholic. Hey, what's up? And I said, hey, this dude, 
this thing, you know, told him what, what the thing was. He goes, where is this guy? I said, he's right here. I handed the phone to him. And man, when you put experience for something with somebody who's got the same thing and someone has a solution to that problem, that connection is everything. And I was where I needed to be in that situation too, in the middle. You told me, get in the middle of the boat, stay in the middle of the boat, stay in the middle of the herd. That's the safest place. The people on the edge get picked off. Middle, stay there, right? And in the three people in that story, who got better? All three of us, you know? That is my experience with this. And uh, anyway, uh, it was a nice surprise to be uh, talking to you tonight and thank you for listening.